Chapter thirty eight of the Apostle of Alaska The Story of William Duncan of Metlakatla by John W. Arctander. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Phil Schempf. Some Metlakatla History One of the first public buildings erected in Metlakatla, Alaska was the village store. It is operated by Mr. Duncan and carries a stock of general merchandise of the average value of about twenty thousand dollars the goods are sold to the natives at a small advance over the cost price not far away from the store is mr duncan's private dwelling and office in the front part of this building is his office on one side of this office is his bedroom and on the other a storeroom for his account books and papers in the rear is a dining room high ceiled as his office and both heated only with fireplaces adjoining the dining room are three bedrooms and the kitchen in this lowly dwelling mr duncan has always insisted on remaining though far better quarters have for years been near at hand but remain unoccupied except for occasional visitors during the first two years in metlakatla alaska there was no regular house of worship the temporary schoolroom was too small so at first the services were held on the beach and the rocks and later on in a shed built for industrial purposes but on the twenty ninth day of april eighteen eighty nine a queer-looking building with twelve gables intended originally for the public school was finished and here divine services were held until the large fine church was completed of late this building which is heated with hot water and lighted by large oil lamps had been denominated the town hall the natives have their feasts or tea parties here on festive occasions and here all concerts and public entertainments take place in march eighteen ninety the boys home a building in the shape of st peter's cross was ready for occupancy but could not be taken in use till the next year when a new teacher arrived the boys home because of want of proper teachers did not prove a success its name was changed to the educational building and the public school for children of both sexes was there housed in it now are also located the young men's evening schoolroom the sunday school teachers classroom the place for the midweek prayer meeting and the public reading room the same fall the mission building or the industrial training school for girls with rooms on one side for the teacher's family and on the other for the doctors as well as for the pharmacy of the village which is well stocked with all necessary medicines and preparations was ready from the builder's hand upstairs are dormitories for twenty-four girls and below in the centre of the house the dining room and in front a large school hall which now for several years has been used as the council room where the village council holds its meetings both this hall and the large school room in the educational building are heated by open fireplaces in the centre of the room a large hood of sheet iron comes down above the fireplace and not only carries away the smoke but acts as a splendid ventilator in the spring of eighteen ninety a cannery building was erected and that summer a beginning was made of the salmon canning industry four hundred and seventy cases of four dozen cans each were canned but as mr duncan's funds were not sufficient to carry on this business on the scale which was necessary if it should prove profitable he finally was induced to ask some friends of his for assistance in the following way 
a corporation the metlakatla industrial company was formed with twenty five thousand dollars capital stock of this stock mr duncan and a few of the natives took about half the other half was donated by friends of the mission with the understanding that if the enterprise came through all right they should be paid back the money advanced if not they would lose it and he would be under no obligation to repay them on the first of january eighteen ninety five mr duncan formally turned over to this corporation all the industries of the colony the store and the sawmill as well as the cannery this business was managed so prudently that in nineteen o five the corporation could be dissolved as having served its purpose the native stockholders were paid back their money with fifteen per cent interest per annum for the time they had had their money invested this interest had been paid to them annually the other stockholders received their money back with seven and a half per cent interest and mr duncan now personally took over all the business and the property including the two steamers in the meantime acquired boats barges nets and the entire stock of lumber merchandise and canned salmon on hand since that time all of the business has been carried on by him personally with the aid of trusted native employees in the different departments in the month of june eighteen ninety the village had the honor of receiving the first official visit of the governor of alaska the honorable lyman e knapp the governor arrived on a united states revenue cutter on sunday but so strict was the sabbath observance rule at metlakatla that even the governor of the territory could not be officially received until the following day when a platform was erected near the beach and a reception held for him speeches were delivered by leading natives and by the governor who promised to do all in his power to secure them an established and definite right to the island and what they always have so much desired citizenship the first of these rights was accorded to them by congress the next year but the boon of citizenship is still being withheld from them though president roosevelt in his admirable message to congress in nineteen o five strongly urged upon that body to grant this privilege to the metlakatla indians whom he did not hesitate in his interesting state paper to characterize as highly intelligent and civilized and fully entitled to all the rights and privileges of citizenship congress however failed to act up to his suggestion in this matter as in so many others subsequent events have shown that the temper of congress with reference to granting citizenship or the right to acquire citizenship to any other than caucasians and negroes was such that there was no hope of passing an act allowing these highly civilized indians the right to become naturalized a right which is freely granted every day in the year to other much less intelligent and patriotic aliens senator newt nelson of minnesota who has taken a great interest in the welfare of metlakatla therefore on february fourth nineteen o seven introduced a bill to grant them the right to obtain licenses as pilots captains and engineers and to run and operate their own motor-boats with the same force and effect as if they were citizens of the united states this bill by kindly aid of president roosevelt then as always the determined friend of the matlakatlans who instructed the department of commerce and labor to take all proper steps to secure its prompt passage became a law in the very short time remaining of that session of congress and on the fourth day of march a d nineteen o seven received the signature of the president 
it is to be hoped that in the near future congress will see that it cannot any longer afford to refuse to these civilized and intelligent men the right of citizenship which was explicitly promised them as they thought with the full approval of the national government by the governor of alaska when they first came to this country in the summer of eighteen ninety one things had progressed so far at metlakahtla that six thousand cans of salmon were canned and over ten thousand dollars paid to the natives in wages from this branch of the industries alone that winter saw ninety-five new permanent dwellings erected since then their number has been added to so that there now are one hundred and thirty private dwellings all told in the village on november fifth eighteen ninety two the second steam sawmill erected by mr duncan in the village was destroyed by fire at the net loss of nearly nine thousand dollars this second fire which was due to the carelessness of one of the native operators determined mr duncan to make use of the splendid water power obtained from the lake in the clouds filling an old crater about eight hundred feet above sea level in the mountain valley of purple mountain located on the other side of the bay and the overflow of which tumbles down the mountainside at the expense of nine thousand dollars he now built a dam at the mouth of this lake and a pipeline down the mountainside and around the bay and thereby not only provided water power for the new sawmill which now was being run by a pelton water wheel but also furnished all necessary water for the cannery and in addition a splendid water supply for the use of the whole village the business affairs of the colony were now in such shape that this new work was done the mill rebuilt and the new machinery purchased without mr duncan having to call on his friends outside for any help whatsoever the twelfth day of february eighteen ninety three was a sad day in the history of metlakahtla for several weeks a north wind had been blowing the north winds in that part of alaska always bring fine weather there had been no rain at all for a long time and everything in the village was as dry as tinder a veritable gale from the northeast was blowing when near noon the fire bell clanged people looked at each other with fear and trembling an awful day for a fire where was it fortunately it had started in the western portion of the village in an hour or two all of that part of the village except two houses which miraculously escaped unscathed though located directly in the path of the flames some twenty dwellings in all with the contents of most of them were wiped out of existence by the fierce fire fiend the best fire department in the world could have done nothing under the circumstances the flames simply kept on licking all with voracious tongues till no more food for them could be found here was a beautiful opportunity for the metlakahtla people to show what christianity had done for them and they did not fail not only did neighbors make room for those who had no home but in less than two days sixteen hundred dollars to be distributed among the fire sufferers was raised right in the little village and about a thousand dollars of the amount came from the poor natives themselves though they were at this very time struggling hard to recover from the losses entailed upon them when they had to give up all that was theirs for the sake of their faith as soon as news of the misfortune reached the outside god touched many hearts and in a very short time nearly three thousand dollars in money and contributions in natura came for the benefit of the sufferers one thousand dollars of this amount from a gentleman in london england henry s welcome esquire 
who on this occasion and not for the first time showed his great interest in mr duncan and the metlakatla indians this fire stirred the village council up to procure at once four hand pumps with hose for fire protection two fire bells were also bought to be placed in different parts of the town a bucket and ladder company was organized cisterns were located near the houses in short many measures for better protection against fire were now taken within a year the burned district was rebuilt thanks especially to the timely aid granted in eighteen ninety three ground had been broken for the magnificent church to be erected in the village the building of which had been delayed so long only because it was mr duncan's aim to build a church that would in every way be an honor to the place in april eighteen ninety four the raising of the heavy framework was commenced in earnest and on christmas day eighteen ninety six could be dedicated and used for the first time what many people are pleased to call mr duncan's westminster abbey even unto this day the largest church in alaska and most certainly a magnificent temple of worship it is one hundred feet long has a seventy-foot span is forty-three feet to the ceiling and the tops of the spires on the towers are eighty feet above the ground the cost of this edifice where everything except the fine pipe organ and the gas fixtures is the work of the natives was a little over ten thousand dollars of this amount the natives themselves had contributed twenty five hundred dollars about three thousand dollars had been taken from the benevolent fund one half from the amount already mentioned as having been contributed by friends in england and the united states at an earlier period and the other half from later contributions for the express purpose of helping mr duncan to build this beautiful temple to god but by far the greater amount about forty five hundred dollars was donated by mr duncan himself from his own private funds the church is heated by a hot water plant and is lighted by acetylene gas the cost of maintaining it by way of repairs and painting needed therein included in the cost of the lighting plant from january eighteen ninety seven to july first nineteen o eight was the sum of two thousand seven hundred fifty one dollars thirty cents this does not include pastors organists janitors or any other salaries all these services are at metlakatla given gratuitously of this amount the natives have by their thanksgiving and new year's offerings since eighteen ninety six raised the sum of two thousand one hundred forty four dollars ninety cents there are no collections taken at the regular services from offerings by the tourists of the different excursions visiting metlakatla during the last twelve years the total sum of one thousand five dollars ninety nine cents has been received so there was on the first day of july nineteen o eight on hand in the church fund a balance of four hundred dollars for a long time after the removal travel about the streets of metlakatla was after heavy rains and heavy rains are of rather frequent occurrence in the country where the annual rainfall is usually about one hundred twenty inches a decidedly unpleasant undertaking but in the nineties it was concluded to obtain on credit from mr duncan planks to the amount of two thousand dollars and to apply the village tax which in eighteen eighty nine had been fixed at three dollars per annum for each adult to work on the streets in this as in almost all alaska towns the streets consist of plank walks 
from eighteen ninety five to nineteen hundred considerable work was done and in the latter year the planking of the village streets had been completed during these five years from six hundred dollars to one thousand dollars was every year expended in cash and labor in and about planking the streets in nineteen o three the total expenditure on village improvements was thirteen hundred dollars and in nineteen o six when the whole of the front street was replanked for a distance of about one mile the public work expenditure exceeded fifteen hundred dollars in eighteen ninety seven mr duncan finished the guest house another strange octagonal shaped building which is completely furnished including seven bedrooms upstairs drawing-room library dining-room and a very elaborate kitchen downstairs mr duncan says he has built it for his successor perhaps that is the reason he declines positively to move into it himself for it is in every way more convenient and suitable than the little house containing his den his private library is however installed in this building mr duncan's reasons for the many gables and sides of his building are first that he thinks it gives greater strength to resist the winds which in the winter season can be very violent at metlakahtla and the next because he expects thereby to secure better ventilation as he in the town hall has provided a ventilator in the top portion of every one of the twelve gables in nineteen o five the last public building to be erected at metlakahtla a combination of jail engine house and public library building was completed it is painted in all the national colors the first story is red as befits an engine house if not a jail the library story is painted in white and the cupola in blue the jail portion is a perfectly perfunctory institution the only occupant i have ever known it to have is now and then a small boy whose mother cannot manage him and gets mr duncan to help her by placing him under restraint for a few hours in the summer of nineteen o eight an incorrigible girl had a taste of jail life for a day the public library housed in the second story was installed in the winter of nineteen o five and nineteen o six it is the largest public library in alaska and contains two thousand seventy seven volumes viz three hundred fifty three volumes of religious books three hundred twenty nine of history geography travels and biography thirty-eight of politics government and political economy eight hundred forty-five of fiction two hundred sixty-five of miscellaneous books seventy of music and two hundred sixty-five of reference books the latter cannot be removed from the library and must be used there the library is kept open for a couple of hours every saturday night the books in the library most prized by the natives are two volumes of presidential addresses and state papers presented to the library by president roosevelt and bearing upon the fly-leaf of the first volume in the president's own handwriting the inscription with good wishes for the metlakahtla indians from theodore roosevelt october eighth nineteen o five among other books contained in the library is a full set of president roosevelt's works in beautiful morocco binding a deluxe edition of the universal anthology thirty-two volumes a full set of the united states digest of the american digest and of the united states compiled statutes a deluxe edition of talmage's sermons twenty-one volumes an old edition of plutarch's lives six volumes 
printed in london in seventeen fifty eight complete sets of all the works of dickens thackeray marriott scott wilkie collins hall Caine, fenimore j cooper ralph connor george eliot mary a fleming Ryder haggard hawthorne mary holland anthony hope bulwer lytton henty carleton emma southworth and mark twain several modern encyclopedias dictionaries and bible dictionaries are also found on the shelves the library was called from the private libraries of prominent citizens of minneapolis minnesota and several publishing houses such as the fleming h revel company funk and wagnalls company s s granton company the hope publishing company and the west publishing company also made valuable contributions from their publications the northern pacific railway company and the alaska steamship company carried the library books free of expense to their destination and mr duncan kindly housed and shelved them a catalogue of the books in the library has been printed and can be obtained from the librarian for fifty cents as the proceeds from the sale are devoted to meeting the expenses of the library any one who desires to contribute for that purpose can do so by forwarding fifty cents in postage stamps to the librarian of the public library at metlakahtla for a copy of the catalogue it will prove interesting as a memento of the great work done there the natives who obtain books without any fee or charge whatsoever have taken out about one hundred library cards and the library is fairly well patronized on october second nineteen o seven the fiftieth anniversary of mr duncan's arrival at fort simpson was celebrated at metlakahtla it at first was intended to have a central general celebration of the day either at port simpson or old metlakahtla and an invitation was extended to mr duncan to come over there but he absolutely declined to go where old wounds could not help being reopened so the natives of metlakahtla resolved to celebrate the anniversary at their own home they all gathered early in the town hall which was decorated with evergreens festoons and flags four of the elders made impressive and touching addresses interspersed with prayer and four beautiful anthems were sung by the church choir the room was then transformed into a banquet hall where at three p m three hundred people were seated and the good women of metlakahtla served a most excellent dinner while the metlakahtla brass band furnished choice music a fine leather-covered chair was presented to mr duncan by his people john tate and sidney campbell who both were present when he landed at fort simpson fifty years ago addressed him at length in words of appreciation of his life and labor among them and pledged themselves and the people to love him better than ever in the future mr duncan on being led to the chair spoke at length in tsimshian rehearsing like a moses or joshua of old all that god had wrought for them those many years the rev j e chapman a methodist preacher of ketchikan some seventeen miles distant then spoke the crowning event of the day however was the rendering by a choir of forty native voices in most excellent manner of handel's renowned oratorio messiah under the leadership of edward marsden with benjamin a haldane at the organ the thirteenth of june nineteen o eight was the fiftieth anniversary of the preaching by mr duncan of his first sermon in tsimshian the day was remembered in prayer in every house at metlakahtla but no public celebration occurred 
mr duncan does not care much for anniversaries and the celebration on october second nineteen o seven would probably never have taken place had it depended on him the fact remains however that the wonderful work which has been done and the remarkable results which we find in the beautiful village of metlakahtla are practically under god the sole work of this one man and others undoubtedly feel that the memory of this fact should be kept green however much he personally by reason of his innate modesty may deprecate it we have seen that with the exception of five years when he had the benefit of the invaluable services of mr tomlinson and dr bluett duncan he while at old metlakahtla had practically no help in his work except that of the native teachers which he himself had educated most of the time he has labored in alaska he has been in the same position and when this has been so it is not because he was not willing to secure the aid of competent and able assistants time after time they have come to him and gone again after a short stay it is not given to every one to endure the isolation and solitude of the position as he has been able to do it is not as easy a matter as one might imagine the climate is trying the difficulties of the work are manifold the life becomes almost that of a hermit it may be that mr duncan has so long been accustomed to being monarch of all he surveys that assistants chafe under the form of government which he has unwittingly established at metlakahtla i think it may safely be characterized as an absolute monarchy although the monarch is both kind pleasant and lovable the hand that rules metlakahtla wears a velvet glove but the hand is there within the glove just the same all the time after dr bluett duncan left dr h j minthorne with wife and daughter spent nearly three years on the island on two different occasions they are remembered and beloved for their many kindnesses and valuable services he as a doctor and his wife and daughter as teachers after an interval of one year the village had a new doctor in dr ernest r pike who with his wife spent there a honeymoon of two years from eighteen ninety nine to nineteen o one thomas boyd who had studied medicine in ireland came to act both as missionary teacher and as doctor and filled both positions to the satisfaction of all parties concerned from february nineteen o three to december nineteen o four when he on account of failing health was compelled to return to europe where he ere long died leaving an estimable wife and lovely little daughter the first white child born on annette island when mr duncan first came to alaska the government offered him assistance in the educational branch of his work and allowed him twelve hundred dollars per year with which to pay a teacher or teachers in his school when he had received this help for about six years and that it was a welcome one during those trying years we may well imagine a rule was promulgated that the bible should not be taught in any school in alaska supported by governmental aid when mr duncan learned of this he immediately refused to receive another dollar of government money the bible will not be exiled from any school that i have anything to do with he said the same grand old man this one thing i do other missionaries in alaska circumvented the order they had their bible reading and studying but at special sessions then they adjourned and walking the children around the building came in again and organized the school mr duncan was however too great a man for such tricks let the money go god would give help and he has 
of the white teachers who have come and gone at metlakahtla besides those already mentioned we may note mr and mrs j f mckee from pennsylvania from april to october eighteen ninety two e w wiesner and wife quakers from august eighteen ninety three to october eighteen ninety four john h hadley and wife from iowa from august to december eighteen ninety seven and miss daisy stromstedt from september one to november one nineteen o six david leask was till he died in eighteen ninety nine a great help to mr duncan in the schoolroom and during the last four or five years his daughter martha leask has been employed the greater part of the time alonzo hamlet a half-breed with a good education served as teacher in eighteen ninety seven and eighteen ninety eight i will frankly admit that of late years the children have not received the attention they should and which their fathers and mothers in their youth received from mr duncan personally his many duties make it impossible for him to personally give the time he would like to the education of the young mr duncan sees this as well as any one and he sincerely regrets that he unfortunately has been unable to help matters he hopes that different results may be expected now as he has secured the services as schoolmaster of an earnest christian gentleman mr bertram g mitchell formerly principal of the public schools in ketchikan alaska who with his wife removed to metlakahtla in august nineteen o eight but if he has had bad luck in getting schoolmasters who would make a long stay at metlakahtla he has certainly been most fortunate in having with him for all of ten years an excellent scotch couple mr and mrs james wallace during all these years mrs wallace has faithfully tried to make mr duncan's home as pleasant for him as it could be made by a neat and most excellent housekeeper and mr wallace has by discharging the duties of postmaster and wharfinger as well as by taking care of the excellent fruit and vegetable garden himself been a great help and comfort to mr duncan all the more pity that he after this year will miss their valuable assistance and pleasant christian society as they intend to go south and settle on their beautiful little farm near portland oregon when we do not count the schoolmasters who for the last ten years have occasionally flitted so far north for very short and limited periods mr and mrs wallace have been the only white people permitted to live at metlakahtla with the exception of an old french canadian jeremiah zore who claims to be over one hundred and five years old but who probably in fact is not over ninety-five he was at fort simpson before mr duncan married a tsimshean woman moved with the natives to old metlakahtla and also to alaska he is quite a factor on the island inasmuch as he has three children eighteen grandchildren and seventeen great-grandchildren but is hardly possessed of the sterling qualities of the natives who stand far above him in intelligence and education there were eight hundred twenty three natives who emigrated to new metlakahtla since that time a few new residents have been added to the colony but not many and a few have left some for the old place but more for other places in alaska notably ketchikan where they have a better opportunity to earn more wages the last census of the village in the summer of nineteen o eight shows a population of only six hundred eighty three this decrease in the population is mainly due to the excessive mortality rate while southeastern alaska is not an unhealthy country at all in fact some one has jocularly said that no one dies there except from accident or old age 
still it must be admitted that the adoption of the clothing and food of the whites by the natives does not seem to have added anything to the condition of their health and strength quite the opposite is the sad actuality tuberculosis and pulmonary troubles generally seem to be the prevailing causes of death while a couple epidemics of influenza and one of whooping cough have claimed their share of victims according to the records which however are not very complete as to the cause of death there have not been less than fifty-five deaths from the white plague out of a total of five hundred and two deaths as against only four hundred and fifty-two births recorded from the time of removal to alaska up to july first nineteen o eight footnote as no particular records of birth is kept at metlakahtla only of children brought into the church the first sunday of each year to be prayed for it is quite likely that there have been considerably many more births than here stated it is perhaps fair to estimate that at least fifty per cent of the one hundred forty six children given as have died in infancy were never so presented and that the probable true number of births would come nearer five hundred twenty five than as above given but even so this certainly shows a bad condition of things End of, footnote. of the deaths one hundred forty six were of infants one hundred six of children from two to ten years and sixty-three of adolescents from ten to twenty years old some twenty-four deaths were caused by accident mostly drowning one old woman died at an age exceeding ninety years she was married and had children before the white people first came to nass river in eighteen thirty two twenty-six of the deaths were of people between eighty and ninety twenty of between seventy and eighty the same number between sixty and seventy and twenty-six between fifty and sixty so it seems that if a native can manage to get through childhood he has a pretty fair prospect of longevity the death rate among children which is so much greater in proportion than in the settlements in the states is perhaps in a large measure due to the exposure which follows from the habit of taking their families along and camping out at their logging fishing and trapping tours but i cannot doubt that the change in the building of their houses which precludes the ventilation and constant supply of fresh air which their old mode of building with the central fireplace and the large opening in the roof for the escape of smoke insured has considerably to do with the waning health and deplorably excessive death rate among these people this state of things of course affects the parents as well as the children some remedy must certainly be found for this high mortality rate in the near future or the funeral knell of the whole race will soon be sounded end of chapter thirty eight